podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC on a Thursday on which not a whole lot is happening because it's a Thursday. Liverpool this weekend will play on Monday night, which means we have to suffer through the weekend, waiting for what will undoubtedly be a horrible, horrible game against Leicester. Because away to Leicester generally turns out to be horrible. Last season, you could look at that loss as the game that cost us the league. We went to the King Power, flying. They were awful. They were in dreadful form. They were riddled by injuries. And somehow we came away with a 1-0 defeat, despite dominating the game. Go back to 18-19, home game. They came into the game in decent form. We were in great form. But it was around Christmas time. The ground was quite icy. And we drew at home. Not maybe is one of the results that cost us the title that season. And despite the fact that Leicester could potentially get relegated this season, despite the fact that if you were to rank every goalkeeper who's played in the Premier League from whether they've played one minute to 3,000 minutes, within the bottom three or four goalkeepers on that list, potentially even the bottom two, would both be Leicester goalkeepers. Their Leicester keep the Leicester keepers have been awful this season. But you know that whichever one of them is picked is going to turn into prime Gigi Buffon. The defence has been a train wreck for much of Rogers' tenure and since. Brendan's eye for a defender as always, leaves a lot to be desired. As is typical with Brendan, every defender who works under him gets worse. Rodgers inherited a good defensive team from Claude Puel and said about destroying that because that's what Brendan does. But you just know that Kagler Sionchu and Woot Faze are going to turn into Costa Curta and Baresi for this game because that's just what happens when we need a win and we play a bad team in a bad situation. Wilf and Didi will shake off the last 18 months of injuries and look like Marcel Desailly in midfield. Yuri Tielemans will forget 
that he's leaving on a free in the summer, will recommit for the night and ping passes around and probably knock one in the top corner from 30 yards. James Madison will play like Zvonimir Boban. Harvey Barnes will be like Roberto Donadoni. And Jamie Vardy will just be an absolute pest. And he couldn't be anybody else other than Jamie Vardy because he's just the most Jamie Vardy of all Jamie Vardys. So that's what we have to look forward to this weekend. But we have to wait until Monday night. So not only does the anxiety of the game ruin your weekend, a loss could ruin the week that follows. But we do come into the game on a good winning run. And we're finding ways to win games, which is something that we struggled with, obviously, for much of the season. So fingers crossed, we pull this one out, get ourselves another win, get ourselves on the heels of the two United clubs, Newcastle and Manchester, put the pressure on them so that they have to win their games. We look at the fixtures for the weekend. You would fancy both of them to win, but Newcastle away to Leeds with Big Sam. I mean, that's a much tougher game than it would have been a fortnight ago. Manchester United at home to Wolves, you would expect them to win. It would be fairly catastrophic for them if they don't win. But they've got a goalkeeper who can't save anything and forwards who can't score at the moment. So if Wolves could come and be really disciplined and just park the bus and maybe try and catch them on a counter-attack, I mean, stranger things have happened. They could grab a draw there. Beyond that, then, you know, uh, Newcastle will take on Brighton in midweek. Now, bear in mind, Brighton got walloped by Everton on Monday night and faced Arsenal on Sunday. So they might, they almost certainly will need a win or a, a result as they continue to try and get into Europe. So maybe that gives Brighton an added incentive and maybe they take something off Newcastle. Then United go to Bournemouth. United's away form has been rotten this season. Now, Bournemouth are pretty much on the beach, but they have been winning a lot of games recently. Two bad home losses to West Ham and Chelsea, but maybe maybe they pull something out. Then United face Chelsea. Frank Lampard maybe, maybe has something up his sleeve for us. Maybe there's a Mitrovic return with a vengeance in, you know, he's back, I think, this weekend. And if he's up to speed for that United game on the final day, maybe he causes them some trouble and maybe he wants revenge for the fact that he lost eight games of his season for an incident that took place there. For the tune... You know, Leicester at home, battling relegation. Maybe, maybe they go there and and can scam their way to a draw. And then they get Chelsea last day of the season. And and again, maybe 
Frank Lampard has something in store for us. Newcastle need six points from the remaining four games. Leeds, Brighton, Leicester and Chelsea. In all likelihood, they will get their six points. But there is a chance that they won't. We've seen teams who don't have that experience of closing out a season buckle under the pressure. And there's no question that Newcastle have hugely overperformed this season. I mean, go through their squad man for man. It's not a top four squad. They've got a handful of players that are top four players. Botman, Gamerish, Kieran Trippi has got top four experience at Spurs and Atletico Madrid, obviously. Isak is, is an outrageous talent, but, you know, Fabian Schaar, a mid-table player for most of his career, lower mid-table, bottom half for much of it with Newcastle. Dan Byrne, I mean, he was part of Leicester teams that finished in the bottom half. Joe Willock, I know he came through at Arsenal, but he doesn't have any experience in big pressure games. Same goes for Jolington. Callum Wilson spent much of his career in the lower leagues and with Bournemouth. He doesn't have experience in these type of games. Would you put faith in St. Maximum or Jacob Murphy or Miguel Almiron? I mean, Almiron was great earlier in the season and then just sort of fell off a cliff. Injuries and tiredness and whatever else. But they don't have players used to seeing something like this out. And then you look at United. And they're clearly not a good team. They clearly aren't a good team. They need nine points from four games. If we win out... They need to win three of their four. And they look really shaky at the moment. And there's a there's a simple there's a simple explanation for why they look shaky. Is that they just don't have good players. That they've spent all this money, and yet as bad as we've been this season. Who from their team would you take? You wouldn't take De Gea, obviously. Now, you wouldn't take any other goalkeeper over Ali. But I think there's quite a long list of keepers you'd take over De Gea. You wouldn't take either of the right backs, because neither of them are up to much. You wouldn't take their centre-backs. Martinez is a myth, and he's injured. Maguire is awful. Varane is well past his best. You wouldn't take Lindelof. So, you know, you're not touching them. Luke Shaw is a good player, but he's also prone to errors and stupid mistakes. And he's very inconsistent. Technically, talent-wise, he's very, very good. But month-to-month performance level, not great. Not great at all. Uh, In midfield, you would probably take Casemiro over Fabinho. And I love Ericsson, but I wouldn't take him over, say, Thiago. I would take Bruno over Henderson. That's not a 
not a question. But you're not taking Anthony. You're not taking Veghorst. I like Rashford. I would take Rashford. But we have Diaz. So it's not a position of need for us. And if Diaz had stayed fit, who knows what he would have done this season because he was really starting to come into his own. They're just not a good team. They spend all this money, and yet you'd look at them and say, well, they need a new goalkeeper. They need a new right-back. They potentially need a new centre-back. You need one more in midfield. You need a number nine, and you need a right-winger because you spent all that money on Anthony, and he's just not good. So you wouldn't trust them either. And like their goal difference, plus eight for the season. We're plus 25. We're plus 25. And for all the talk of them having this incredible centre-back pairing, they've conceded only one goal less than us while scoring 18 less than us. And if you look back at the last 30-odd years across the top five leagues, if you get to plus 30 in the goal difference column, you get top four. There's only two incidents where teams have gotten to plus 30 and not gotten top four. One was the Fiorentina team in 06-07 that finished second or third, but got docked 15 points for Calciopoli. And the other was in the Premier League when Arsenal finished on plus 33 in 16-17, but four other teams also hit plus 30, which had never happened before. Well, not in the time I've looked it up, which is basically from about 1990 onwards. You're going to finish top four if you can hit plus 30, unless someone, unless four other teams do it, or you get caught trying to bribe referees. We're five goals off that at the moment, with three games left. You would back us to get there. And I think if we get there and win our three games, I think we're going to get in. Because I know United have an easier run in. They should win their games. Newcastle should win their games. But their players aren't battle-hardened. They're not tested. Ours are. And as bad as some of them have been this season... When it boils down to it, they do know how to eke out a win. And we're on this really impressive run of games at the moment where, you know, we haven't always played well. That's the thing with this run of wins. Like, you look at our... Since we lost to City 4-1, we drew with Chelsea. We didn't play well at all. And they should have beaten us 2-0. They had a goal disallowed and they missed an absolute sitter. But we got a draw. We played Arsenal. They went 2-0 up. We fought back. We should have beaten them. But for a big chunk of that game, we didn't play well. We didn't play well in the first half against Leeds, and we beat them 6-1. We didn't play at all well against Forest, and we beat them 3-2. Didn't play great against West Ham. Beat them 2-1. Unbelievable first 15 to 18 minutes against Spurs. After that, very poor. Still won the game. And we weren't good against Fulham or Brentford, but we still won those games. And winning without playing close to your best is a really good marker for a team. 
Leicester Monday will be tough. Villa the following Saturday will be tough, but they do look like they're running out of steam just a little bit. Like all the effort that they've put in under Emery. And remember, under Unai Emery, up until their defeat at Old Trafford, they'd been the third best team in the league from when Emery took over to that point. Having, under Steven Gerrard, been one of the worst teams in the league. And the truth is, they were neither one of the worst nor one of the best. They're somewhere in the middle. They're a middle-of-the-pack team. Emery had them overperforming. It was unsustainable. They were running hot all over the place in terms of XG, XG against, things like that. So they were bound to come back to earth a little bit. And they are starting to look like a very leggy team because they don't have a huge squad. So he's had to play the same players week in, week out. And then we get Southampton on the final day and they're going to be relegated. Like right now, If Everton take one point from one of their remaining three games, Southampton would need to win all of their games, hope that Everton don't take another point, that Leicester don't take any points, that Leeds don't take any points, and win their remaining three games by considerable margins. They're 12 goals worse off in the goal column compared to Everton, while being eight points behind them with three games to go. They're going down. They'll be down by that final day. They'll have nothing to play for. They'll be probably checked out. And we should go there and hammer them. Just when I thought I was out, this bunch of bastards have pulled me back in. Right, main Liverpool websites. We have uh, a piece on Alexis McAllister to Liverpool up on This Is Anfield. Do check that out. Uh, Liverpool defender taking the positives despite playing only nine games and two loans. That is Owen Beck. He's had a really tough season. Really strange season. Really, really strange season. Because... He's highly rated. He's he's well thought of. And neither loan worked out for him. There are reports <clears throat> coming from Italy, Arzio, that Barella is a very serious target for us and that we watched him last night. And if we did, we'll have been impressed. Uh, Jamie Carragher... Tells Paolo Maldini he stole his Istanbul shirt. So Carragher has revealed he got hold of Maldini's shirt after the 2005 Champions League final. That is fantastic. (laughs) It's a huge honour for me to have that shirt. You don't want it back, no? Uh, What a shirt to have. I mean, you're talking about the greatest defender of all time there. Um, so that's got to be prized possession for Carragher. Um, Steven Gerrard has hailed the quality of Nicolo Barella ahead of Inter Milan's... Um, oh, he, sorry, he did hail it ahead of their victory. Uh, Barella was very good in that game, and Inter won 2-0 with him kind of as the fulcrum in midfield. Uh, he and Alexis, as the two eights, 
would be spectacular. And when you think about it, the asking price, rumoured rumored asking prices for the pair of them is kind of 60 million each. The rumoured asking price for Jude was 120 million. If you could get Alexis and Nicola Barella for 120 million, the same price as Jude, that would be much better business than just buying Jude. I understand there's a fascination with Jude, but let, like, let's all be serious for a second. Um, there's also a lot of rumours now about Manuel Ugart and the fact that he might be moving up our list of targets. So you can read about that on This Is Anfield. On Liverpool.com, there is a piece about Jury and Timber. We'll have a look at the Media Digest. There's also a piece about Ugart, piece about uh, Jörg Schmatke. Liverpool could test Newcastle with a $110 million dream transfer and telling hint after a top four race. This is a piece about Bruno Gomerich. There are reports that Bruno Gomerich is someone that we'd like. I think there's absolutely no chance. Um, the cost alone would be ridiculous. We could have had him for a third of what they'd want now when he moved there. But if they do fail to get top four, I will be interested to see what happens with him. Will he sign a new deal? Um, there's a piece here about uh, Carol Figueroa and his career so far. He's obviously a young player tipped for, for, for very big things. Uh, we'll have a look at this media digest quickly. Da, 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 da. Liverpool keen on former Manchester City star as part of double swap. Uh, Seiko Fafana. Seiko Fafana is a really good player, but I don't think he's quite the level that we are looking for. Um, Liverpool prepares $55 million offer for midfield star. So some shit Italian website claims we're going to offer 50 million euro for Ryan Gravenberch. Now, bear in mind, Ryan Gravenberch moved to Bayern Munich a year ago for about £18 million. And these, and, and, and was dreadful for them all season. And these uh, gang of intrepid reporters claim we're going to give them a £25 million profit. Uh, if that happens, we are the dumbest club in Europe. So I don't think it's going to happen. I saw a really good theory on the Discord channel yesterday which was that Gravenberch and potentially Matthias Nunes were players we were looking for to fill a certain type of role, not necessarily as one of the starting eights, but perhaps as a third eight who could play against certain oppositions if Curtis Jones was leaving. Because if you look at them statistically, they're similar enough. They've got similar types of strengths, similar types of weaknesses. But Curtis's recent run of form suggests that we don't need either of them and shouldn't be spending money on them and should spend that money on what we actually need, which is a left-sided centre-back, a defensive midfielder, and two starting eights. Uh, so I'm hopeful that the Ryan Gravenberch thing will just go away. It seems like lazy journalism at this point, the way it's just constantly regurgitated, all the same names constantly being regurgitated. Uh, we'll move on then to AnfieldIndex.com. Uh, Calvin Ramsey's back in training, so the thought that he had torn his ACL has proven to be false. 
It turns out it was like an MCL injury, uh, which is good news. So he's back. And it's going to be a long process to bring him back, but it's good to see him back on the training pitch. Uh, Joe Gomez, a good think by both parties, written by David Davis. Check that one out. Daichi Kamada and the Bosman Possibility, written by Stephen Smith. I wouldn't be against the signing of, of a player like that. He's very, very good. The uh, news team have a piece up about Chumeni and the potential of signing him. And then there's a piece called FSG Entitled Liverpool Fans and a Performative Fan Base. I, I, I can't help myself. I have to go through this. So this piece was written by uh, Dr. Martin Andrews, right? So with the greatest respect, Dr. Martin Andrews, I'm just going to pull some threads out of this. Um, the base of this article is that FSG aren't bad because they're better than Hicks and Gillette and the Glazers. That's basically who he's compared them to. No other owners, just those two. Uh, so that fact that Hicks and Gillette couldn't pay for plans for the stadium is apparently a plus for FSG. The fact that the Glazers take money out of United and FSG don't is apparently a plus for FSG. Um, okay, if that's the bar, that's a really, really low bar. However, uh, we'll have a look at this now. So the start of it is about Klopp being um, envious of the Etihad campus and how he no longer needs to be envious about the Etihad campus now because the acts of training ground, etc., etc. If you look at the facilities at the Etihad campus and compare them to the AXA, he should still be jealous because theirs is legitimately the best in the world. And ours is, while good and certainly modern and state-of-the-art, it's not an you know, a no-expense-spared type of situation. It's certainly not at the level of that. He also mentions uh, other training grounds. The majority of top clubs in Europe had world-class training facilities. Real Madrid's. Okay, that's Real Madrid. That's the number one club in world football. AC Milan's Mileno literally had a lake inside it. Well, first of all, Mileno is, or Milanello, <laughs> Milanello is noted to be outdated. It has a lake inside it because there's a lake on the grounds. It, that's a geographical thing, not something they built in. Leicester City's training centre had a nine-hole golf course. Leicester City's training centre was built at the same time as the AXA. It wasn't there beforehand. Leicester City's training ground is no expense spared. It was built at the same time as the AXA, cost considerably more. And more thought and effort was put into it. So let's not try and claim that that's something that was there before the AXA was done. Uh, then it talks about the stadium. And there's a line here that really, really wound me up. Over the last several years, FSG have replaced the pitch at Anfield with a 95% hybrid carpet pitch. What do we want? A round of applause? Every club has that. 
replete with an underground heating and plumbing system. The underground heating was there long before FSG. Under FSG, Liverpool spent $114 million for the main stand expansion. The first major upgrade on Anfield in six decades. Um, are we forgetting the COP in the 90s? Are we forgetting the centenary stand in the 90s? They're not six decades ago. Not even close to six decades ago. And again, just because FSG are better than Hicks and Gillette and have done more than them, it's a really low bar to hold things to. Again, the AXA is not nearly the calibre of the Etihad campus. So, you know, you've mentioned that multiple times without actually taking a big dig into the facilities at both. Um, Then there's some stuff about how Liverpool fans lost their shit because the club didn't pay for a midfielder in January. Now, this is correct. This piece I fully agree with. Jurgen Klopp is the reason we didn't buy a midfielder last summer. Jurgen Klopp is the reason we didn't buy a midfielder in January. If we miss top four, and look, regardless of whether we get it or not, this season's a failure. This season sits on Klopp's feet. This is Jurgen's fault. Um, there is mention here of the fact that John Henry's wife has become the target for certain fans. That's always been out of line. And if you are tweeting or commenting about Linda, there is something wrong with you. Like if you're commenting about her physical appearance or a part of her body or anything like that, there's, there is something deeply wrong with you. So I'll agree with the good doctor on this one. However, the club's infrastructure spending over the last four years totals up to $250 million. If FSG wanted to be popular with the fan base, they would have just spent $250 million on transfer on player transfers. But FSG chose to behave like responsible stewards of the club. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They took the cheap approach. Because there's no way they couldn't have spent $250 million on the infrastructure while also putting the $250 million towards the team because see that's what good owners would do good owners would have paid for the infrastructure themselves because the people who benefit most from the improved infrastructure is fsg because their asset grows in value based on this improved infrastructure and the 250 million spent on said infrastructure likely raised the cost of the club or the value of the club by about 500 million. So money that didn't come from their pocket will double and then find its way into their pocket. FSG didn't build a new training ground because Jürgen wanted one. They did it because it made business sense for them. The same reason they're extending the stadium because it makes business sense for them because it increases the value of their asset so that when they look to sell or sell a minority share or potentially borrow money against their existing portfolio or sell a percentage of the greater FSG portfolio they can make more so they took that money out of the club to enhance their own worth. 
they could have paid for that themselves. There's absolutely no reason they couldn't have paid for it themselves. The FFP guidelines are very clear. And these are the champions of FFP. But yet, when given the opportunity to spend a little bit of their own money on an asset, remember, that they paid $300 million for, that they now value at over $4 billion, a 14 times return on investment. They've put nothing in since. And the loans that they took out, that they have the club repaying, have interest on them. So, you know, I'm sorry. Then it goes on to talk about the revenue growth, and that's absolutely true. The revenue growth has been excellent under them. Tremendous. The second highest grossing club in the world. We're just going to discount cities cheating. But why are we always so broke then? Why do we have no money to spend? We have a beautiful, well-maintained 61,000-seater stadium. We don't yet. As well as a world-class training centre that has plenty of room for expansion. Does it? Meanwhile, our greatest rivals have a stadium with leaking roofs, flooding toilets, and faded paint on the walls. Being better than the Glazers is not an achievement. They're actively shit owners. Actively shit. <laughs> They're not the bar at all. I'm sorry, but this is shit. Oh, God. We've got podcasts, uh, Mulby on the Spot, Media Matters with uh, Honigstein. There's a new uh, Under Pressure. There's a new Scouted. Myself and Carl did yesterday. I have to go. Good luck. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.